0: the most important thing is that you need to identify that and you need to have sort of a culture associated with the trade area that you're working so it's pretty granular
1: before we get into today's episode are you a fix and flipper who needs some money do you need to maybe do more deals and you're limited by the funds you have available well then fund that flip today's best ever sponsor has a solution for you and you know Fund That Flip, right? Your loyal Best Ever Listener. The founder, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show multiple times and they have been a previous sponsor and they love working with the Best Ever Listeners and they provide short-term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy and you can get funded in as few as seven days. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, Go to fundthatflip.com and mention that, well, you heard about it on the Best Ever Show. Best Ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Mike Shapiro, how you doing, Mike?
0: I'm great. Thank you so much for taking me on your show. I appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about Mike. He is the chairman and CEO of Home Sotheby's International Realty. His group retains a staggering $2 billion in listing inventory and another $500 million in exclusive offerings. He's based in Orange County, California. And he's grown from 36 associates and 200 million in sales to 400 associates and over 2.5 billion dollars in sales. Holy cow, that's some big numbers. With that being said, Mike, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
0: Well, I am sort of an accidental real estate guy. I was a stock options trader in Chicago, so it's kind of a funny and I was a market maker so you remember that movie trading place yep <laughs> i was one of those guys who was like screaming yelling on the floor and obviously aging quickly so needless to say i moved when it was sort of going to more of electronic trading and i stationed myself in arizona and just traded off the floor because it had changed dramatically and my wife and i so warm in arizona I had bought a home in Newport Beach california and i was sort of at a relatively young age Faced with my wife being very ill, and she got breast cancer, and fortunately we lived next to a very well-known doctor who saved her life in Newport, and so she wanted to move there, which we did. And at a relatively young age, we kind of retired in our early 40s, which is probably the worst thing in the world for me to do, and I went absolutely nuts. And (laughs) I formed a venture capital group at that point, looking for investments and things to do, because when you face your spouse faces her mortality at that age. Fortunately, everything's great now, Knockwood, and she's healthy and thriving. And she's one of my biggest realtors to Yeah. Your focus changes as you change, and you just, you get to be a place where it really should be focusing on what's most important. I just didn't realize that I had to do something. Mm-hmm. So when I focused on this venture capital idea, a friend of mine in Arizona had owned a real estate company, which ironically had converted to a set of these. He had asked me for financial help. And this was in 2007. And he wanted an open office in Newport Beach, California. And he asked if I could finance that for him. And I said, well, I don't really know anything about it. Let me figure this out. So at that point, I spoke with my realtor in Newport, we had purchased several homes from, and asked her how this worked. And subsequently, I got interested in potentially investing. So to make a long story even longer, I, at 2007, met this company called Home Group, and they were facing some financial trouble, even though their plan was excellent, to be honest with you. But the writing was on the wall, and everyone knows what happened in 2008. So after a long negotiation, I effectively recapitalized the company and didn't know what I was going to do. There was going to be an investor, or what was I going to do there? So I took control over Home Group, and that's when it had 36 agents and basically $200 million sales. So as funny as it sounds, I just showed up every single day because I had nothing to do. And I sort of fell in love with the business and said, this is great. This is an amazing business. And when you close on a real estate business in March of 08, and because of my background as a trader, I obviously had the luxury of making lots of mistakes. Because as we know now, the low point, I think, in all financial markets is September 2008. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I just grew up from there and understood the business and applied really more of my background to it, which was from the financial business. So I saw something I don't think anybody else saw, which was that housing was more of an asset. It wasn't only about the marketing that my agents needed to be focusing on being underwriters and that they were in fact, in charge of some of those important investments that people are making. So we focused our marketing on that, focused our marketing, trying to be more like a Merrill Lynch, for lack of a description, than a global banker, and it worked. And so we grew and grew and grew, and it's where we are today. I mean, I can go on for hours, and I don't want to bore your listeners.
1: That's not so boring. Kind of it is, it, more... Yeah, it's, a, it's really interesting. <laughs> it's yeah, it's really interesting coming from where your background was and how you applied it to your current business Specifically, you said housing was more of an asset and your agents needed to be more focused on underwriting. If I'm a client of one of your team members, what will I notice that they do differently from others?
0: I think that preparation and that they're in charge of probably the most important asset that that person owns. So when I mean by underwriting, they're responsible legally actually as well for making sure that they do the right thing and get the best price for that client to sell that property. And for the most part, I believe the real estate business is really a listing business. I mean, obviously we have fiduciary responsibility on both sides of the coin, but the reality is that, from my perspective, you need to understand the value of that property and why is it that value and how is it that value and protect that value. So that's where the difference lies. We give them tons of tools to try to produce that result. I mean, we are probably one of the few houses on the street that employs an economist. I consistently put out reports about things that are associated with housing, what the value is. I put out reports that I don't think anyone else sees, and I'm happy to send them if anybody wants to see any of this, where I see correlations, depending on the price point, with the stock market. In fact, there was a 95% correlation to our markets because we're in Orange County, and we sort of centered ourselves into Newport Beach, and so... It's obviously an incredibly expensive market. We're right on the water. And I think our average list price is $4.5 million from our office. So the behavior is almost mimicking the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And I saw this huge correlation. It's like 95% accurate. So I put that out and say, look at this. Look at what else is happening. So if you see things like the stock market climbing, there's high probability that in fact, the housing markets will continue to climb. So what's interesting now is what I've noticed, and I'm sorry to go on a tangent here, is that because I was a stock options trader, I used to follow something called the VIX, which is the volatility index. Now, I looked at the volatility index as a contrarian indicator. Do so you know what I'm saying right now, or am I running off on a tangent here? Put, yeah, keep going. As far as, uh, the volatility. Yeah. So the volatility index, if there's a lot of turmoil in the market, then the volatility index explodes and it's an indication of huge turmoil but if there's no turmoil in the market and the markets continue to climb and you see record lows of volatility it's highly suggestive in my opinion i'm like stressing this that there'll be some level of correction in other words there'll be some event it will attribute it whether it be a political event or something to some volatility so i see like a probable correction occurring now i don't think there's gonna be some massive correction like we saw in 2008 that's highly unlikely, but there's clearly some level of correction that's occurring. And in fact, weirdly enough, I'm seeing the beginnings of that in our marketplace where there's significantly less inventory, which is probably what's pushing the market up as high as it's gone. However, because there's a lack of inventory, at some point, people will put their houses on the market, so there will probably be more inventory than buyers, which of course will push the housing market down, Or if the stock market corrects itself, which is too high, then people don't feel as wealthy and subsequently it drops prices as well. So that's where I see some changes. So I'm putting out research like this so that people can sit down with their clients and they can discuss intelligently what's happening rather than just looking at housing as just what people try to do is make a science and they try to just look at comps. But there's more to it than that. I mean, really, if you really think about it, housing is nothing other than an outlier. What I mean by that is that Everybody wants to sell their house with a high comp, like everybody, like every seller is like, well, this is the last comp for square foot, whatever they're using. And every buyer wants to buy the house for the lowest comp. But the reality is, is more to the story on any high comp, or there's more to the story than any low comp. In other words, on a high comp, perhaps somebody just sold their company for a hundred million dollars and they're annoyed and they're walking, you know, you're looking and suddenly like they don't care. They're just going to pay whatever the price is. And suddenly there's a new comp. Well, that's not exactly any science of that. It's just behavioral patterns that were predicated on somebody's pocketbook or lack of mm-hmm. perception. And let's say a low comp occurs because someone's stressed over their mortgage payment or there's an illness in the family or something's wrong or there's something wrong in the house. So suddenly a low comp occurs because of some sort of extenuating event. So that's why like people sort of plug in these numbers like as if there's nothing dynamic about housing prices or human behavior. So we try to teach them that. Why did that low comp occur? What happened? So they can explain that when they're buying agent. Or why did a high comp occur? What happened there? So that's explained to the selling side of the selling client.
1: How do you find that story?
0: You ask. You try to get that story. And obviously, if you don't know, you can't tell a story. It has to be truthful. So it's almost like being a reporter. But most times, weirdly enough, in housing, I think people are pretty honest. Look, you know, the soul, you know, if you ask the other agent, what what happened? Like, they were stressed, or usually people are pretty open, or you see things on title reports, or you can extrapolate. I mean, clearly, foreclosure is clearly, you know, <laughs> right. well, there's stress there if they haven't paid, or other things, but, you know, you cannot ever say anything that's not true or that you've investigated, but for the most part, usually, you can see what happens. Mm-hmm. And if somebody buys a house, uh, these outliers occur a lot in our market. In a lot of ways, it's almost fantasy pricing where we have houses that are going up to $50 million plus. And we have listings that take $55 million, our top listing right now. So these are earned. Uh, so uh, let's say it goes for $55 million. What happened? Well, a billionaire three times over may buy the house. Well, $55 million to somebody who's worth $3 million <laughs> is. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, yep. in, it's in relationships, and you need to explain that. Like, mm-hmm. this is who bought the property. So I just think it's just more than just this sort of walking in, I'm going to market your house, I'm going to stick it in MLS, and I'll hear the comps. and this is what we're going to do. You need to be more educated. You need to educate your clients. You need more in your arsenal in regard to you know, why is the value here, what's happening then obviously you need to do all the other things. This is why we joined Sotheby's four years ago. So I'm too, I'm too old at that point to, uh, to really grow an international company. So four years ago, Sotheby's like, continued to ask us to join them. But we were sort of the highest end of the companies in our location. And I took it seriously. I said, you know, I see all this international clientele coming in and people are demanding those types of marketing and that kind of marketing worldwide. And so we joined and it literally doubled and tripled our business from the time that I joined. It was a right decision. It's in great for the agents. It's been great for the clients and it produces a desired result. Our brochures are going worldwide and, mm-hmm. and that's important. You can't be an international company by just having the internet, which I think sometimes, I think a lot of people think that that's what's occurring. It doesn't work that way. In my opinion, of course, real estate business boots on the ground. Are there people in other countries or are representing your property? Are they operating under your brand? So I think there's more to it than just having a sort of internet or international MLS, like a prescription.
1: I don't know of a, another brokerage that employs an economist. I'm sure there are some, at least not on the residential side. What gave you that idea, and with the content or with the findings the economist comes up with, how is that distributed?
0: Obviously, that's my background. I was a trader, and so I work correlations, sort of the old background has so I look at arbitrage, so I look at why are things occurring, I look at are there other things that are impacting the real estate market, like you know, when oil was driving all over the place, was that impacting it? Are there a correlation there? We noticed the stock market had huge correlations. I was seeing that the VIX had some correlation. So, what do I keep looking at things? And I think that I tell every time I sit down with uh, the company meetings every other Tuesday, and I sit with the agents, and we talk about new listings. We talk about what's happening in the marketplace. We talk about you know new compliance issues. I always say, please, everyone, please read The Wall Street Journal every single day, because if you read The Wall Street Journal every day, for the most part, in my opinion, again, most of the movers and shakers in finance are reading this paper, and most political people are reading this paper, and so you'll see what's at the head of the news cycle. What's happening? What are they looking at? What are they thinking about? And this is impacting real estate value. So why did I hire an economist? Because I think that the primary aspect to the underwriting equation? What else is going on that's moving prices? Why are prices moving? Otherwise, you just walk into a listing and say, what? Well, the house next door is silver such so I think we should do it for this. And you got a newer kitchen, but what else is happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it's part of the equation, but it's not the only part of the equation. And I do think over a certain price point, the behavior has become more impacted on outside forces. So, yes, under a certain price point, it's probably not as impactful to have an economist. But still, there's a correlation there, it's just not as impactful.
1: And how is that content distributed to your community?
0: Oh, we write reports, usually do one a month, and I distribute it via eBlast. And then I'm certainly, they can send it to their clients if they want. We'll set it up as an eBlast for their clients as well, if they'd like to do that. And then we print it off for them to bring to listing appointments, if it's
1: important. Okay. Based on your experience that you've talked about, what is your best advice ever for real estate investors or professionals who want to do what you do, either create a brokerage or have a differentiating feature within the brokerage, whatever comes to mind?
0: I think the real estate business is a very people business. I think what people don't understand for the most part is that it's highly inefficient business and while we see all of these groups or internet sites and everything going after real estate and saying why are the commissions so high on and on and on in the end it's a people business so i think the most important thing is that you need to identify that and you need to have sort of a culture associated with the trade area that you're working so it's pretty granular so that is what i think the most important thing is like where are you selling who are the clients you're selling and understanding that and equating that to your agents. I don't know if that makes any sense, what I'm saying. So we have 13 offices at this point and we serve a very large trade area. So we serve all of Orange County. We serve South LA County with an office in Long Beach and we serve the desert. So if I go into any one of my offices, it's like you're entering another world. Mm -hmm. And so each office, you need to identify what is, the clientele, how are they behaving, if I'm making any sense. And you need to address those issues, and you need to have those services that the clients are responding to. In the end, the most important thing are the clients. Yes, obviously, a real estate company has no assets. The only assets they have are their agents. And the agents are the most important thing to a real estate company. But really, if you really focus on it, it's the clients that pay the freight. It's the clients are the most important thing. It's the clients. So, what are the clients saying? What are they doing? What are they thinking? What do they want? What are they buying? And that, in a way, your real estate broker should reflect that. So it's interesting to watch. So like in Newport Beach, which is a very expensive area, because it's so expensive, most of the clients are either self-employed or they're chairmen of companies or they're in sales or they're doing something. They're not just getting a salary because, I mean, how do you afford the $2 million dollar property or $3 million or $4 million or $10 million. So it's interesting to watch that the agents who want to sell real estate are really gravitate or are more entrepreneurial. They're more independent thinking.
1: You need to service that.
0: <laughs> That's what it is. It's mm-hmm. not one thing fits all is in my opinion.
1: You ready for the best ever lightning round?
0: Oh, God. <laughs> I can't think. I just... I, I just want to uh, say something really
1: stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, that will make it even more entertaining, so I encourage that. First, a word from our best ever sponsor. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about, do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. FundThatFlip, today's sponsor, has partnered with best-selling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book, On negotiating real estate. I've read the book, lots of good real world case studies sprinkled in there too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. Tired of the noise in the real estate investing space, but still want to light your business on fire? Real Estate Deal Talk is an original source of radio shows, podcasts, case studies, and articles devoted to real estate investing for investors, by investors. Discover more at realestatedealtalk.com. That's realestatedealtalk.com. All right. Best ever book you've read? The Art of War. <laughs> What's the best ever deal you've done or transaction? It could be a business deal or transaction.
0: I sold the property that I owned on a napkin. You what? I sold the property that we owned on a paper napkin. The deal was done on a, literally on a napkin. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, best con- ever.
1: the contract was as well?
0: Well, we ended up going to contract in the normal way, but it was literally on a paper napkin. And then I'm like, is this good enough? I'm like, "Okay," then into a sign. It was, <laughs> it was hilarious. We had to do what was legal and proper, but that was how start it started. What's <laughs> a
1: mistake you've made on a transaction?
0: funny i'm not a realtor so i don't have a license i just run the company so if yeah i can't really answer that from a transaction you would have, from a business transaction do you want to ask me or a yeah just yeah
1: just any transaction it could be business whatever not listening to the other side
0: as you can tell so i can just ramble
1: <laughs> <laughs> what not is listening what's the best ever way you like to give back
0: oh my favorite thing the way to give back is to help people It's my joy, and my joy is to help young people entering the business and mentor them and try to establish a great career. I love doing that, and it's wonderful to see them make the money, reach their goals, whatever that is. That's my favorite thing. I'm very charitable, and I give to a lot of different charities. However, that is my joy, the big focus of our
1: company. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you or learn more about your company?
0: Well, we have a website, which is homegroup.com, H-O-M, no E on that, group, G-R-O-U-P.com. And happy to take any email you want, M. Shapiro at home, H-O-M, com. And I'm happy to talk to anybody. You can start that way. And I, I really answer my phone and I love listening to what people have to say and I learn, and they learn, and it's great. And I really love the business. It's a terrific business. It's a, it's a wonderful experience. You get to see people at their best, and sometimes at their worst.
1: Well, Mike, thank you for being on the show. There's a couple lessons I took away, but one of them that really stands out is that high comps and low comps aren't necessarily telling the story, and that's why you asked the why behind the price point. What else is going on here? And dig deeper And that is a lesson, even if we're not agents or have a brokerage, if we're buying properties for investment reasons, that's what we should be looking for as well, because it's going to help us understand the market more, maybe identify some more motivated sellers and identify new opportunities or buy at a right or wrong price, depending on which direction you go. And then also employing an economist, really interesting stuff. I hadn't heard of that before. I'm glad you mentioned it. Certainly your background rings true there. So thanks for being on the show, Mike. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate your listeners listening to my ramble. So thank you.
1: (laughs) Tired of the noise in the real estate investing space, but still want to light your business on fire? Real Estate Deal Talk is an original source of radio shows, podcasts, case studies, and articles devoted to real estate investing for investors, by investors. Discover more at realestatedealtalk.com. That's realestatedealtalk.com.